Content warning. This week's episode contains a frank discussion of disordered eating and body image issues. Listener discretion is advised. So you're vaccinated now, and that's excellent mm-hmm. news. Uh, what yeah. else has been going on? Um, not all that much, really. I mean, I'm, um, I, I did have to kind of take it really slow uh, the last little while, but I feel like I'm kind of coming around or coming back to, I guess, like sort of my origins in the sense that I'm really understanding that I need to write and I need to tell stories. And that's always been fundamental for me from the very beginning, no matter what I was doing in my life. And it's interesting because I was talking to my therapist last week about this and I said, why is it every time I go through a major life transition, I feel like I have to like completely reinvent myself, change Mm. my hair, do everything, spend money I don't have on schooling, take extra courses, become completely um, different in some way, just like completely transform Mm -hmm. instead of just like saying, okay, well, this thing that happened really sucks. And it's revealed some things about me that I've not really thought about before. And that's good. Um, But why not just, you know, do something that I'm already skilled at, which is writing uh, and other things that, you know, capture my attention as well. But it's just, it, it just made me laugh because I was just like, okay, so I got to go do this and I got to do this. I got to take this class. With this. And he's like, mm, you don't really have any money to do that. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I'll figure it out, credit or whatever. And then I just, I realized that it, it's not necessary for me to um, think that way, at least not at this point, I think, um, I just want to I just want to share stories that help other pe- people feel seen and that's always been the at the core of everything I do, right? Right. Um and that's why it's so gratifying and I don't know if you saw what I posted on LinkedIn this morning but No. Just just these messages that I've been getting and that you've been getting them too, private messages from people that feel seen when they listen to the podcast mm-hmm. and it makes them question their own experience and makes right. them motivates them to um, explore things further and, you know, seek out medical advice or whatever it is. But every time I get one of those messages, I get goosebumps because it's just like, you know, people feel seen. And then that, that's the whole point, right? People can see themselves and hear themselves in our conversations. And that just like, it just means so much to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt a little weepy about one that I got last week. And, you know, I don't want to share um, her identity or anything, but it just, it was just... She's not somebody I would ever think had at ADHD, right? right? Um, I, you know, I have huge respect for her. So and I have respect for most people, actually. But, you know, it was just like, sure. ah, right in the heart, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's what's going on for me is just kind of navigating the change, um, trying to accept things, moving through the grief, letting myself cry when I need to cry. Um, and generally just feeling like, okay, um, I don't know what's next, but I need to just keep going. I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lane. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. Holy Shit, I Have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. Yeah, and what about you? Just kind of like really getting right back down to basics and just like, okay, am I taking care of myself on this like kind of, you know, am I drinking enough water? Am I eating Mm. like good food? Am I exercising every day? Am I taking my medicine every day? Am Mm -hmm. I shaving and showering even if I'm not leaving the house? This is to what we talked about last week a little bit with you in the makeup. Um, Yeah. yeah, all that kind of stuff. And, and just trying to like get that, just that, just that baseline stuff down. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, above all, just my confidence is shot right now and that really sucks. And so it's like, Mm. um, I just have to, in or, in order to sell myself, uh, to do the kind of work that I want to do, I need that confidence. And so I just kind of like yeah. have to kind of get that back. I'm hopeful about how things are going to turn out. So, yeah. Um, oh, I wanted okay. to get back to mm-hmm. what you were saying there about feeling seen, because that's something really interesting is that, um, there's almost kind of a scary part of that too, though. And, mm-hmm. uh, 
I don't know if that was, I don't think it was so much that I was scared uh, in 2018 so much as that I was more worried about the depression end of it. But mm-hmm. I had a conversation with uh, with a friend who listened to the show um, and it was really funny because I had kind of, after getting my diagnosis and understanding this about myself, uh, thinking about this person kind of speculated that they may also have ADHD. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was funny. I talked to them the other day and they were like, yeah, I was listening to your show and I had to, I had to quit about 45 minutes into the first episode. Cause I just kept <laughs> like diagnosing myself. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to, say like because I again I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to fucking push people and and mm-hmm. and you know be like oh maybe you should maybe you should check that out maybe you have ADHD but right. uh you know it's it's interesting to me that someone could hear that stuff and relate to it and be like mm-hmm. nope ejection seat <laughs> and and not kind of want to like follow through on the implications because I was so so curious about it right mm. so yeah it's um just about, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what the numbers are now. It's just, you know, I see the faces and the names of the of the folks that have reached out and just how much, um, how vulnerable um, they are when they, when they share mm-hmm. about it, how, um, how kind of overwhelmed they are with the whole idea. Right. Um, and, and because of, you know, societal stigmas around these things, um, even this fear that if they were to be found out by their employer or um, even people in their social circles, that, that that would be kind of their downfall, so to speak. And, and that's the piece where I get really soapboxy and, um, and quite angry because I, I, I'm starting to learn that like, there's so many incredible things that do come with this, even though it is a struggle and there's a lot of grief and it's really painful. I just feel like, you know, and, and, Shout out Brittany Brown again, but you know, when she talks about the fact that when you, when you create space for people to be vulnerable, like that's where the magic is. Right. Right. Um, but unfortunately we're not yet living in a society where that's, where that's widely accepted. It's, it's more of like, um, the exception than the rule. Um, so it's just something that I really feel like more and more people, the more people that, uh, are able to talk about it, the better, but also respecting that in some, in uh, certainly in some industries, even being perceived as remotely flawed is, you know, can end people's career. And I certainly wouldn't wish that for anyone, you know, because livelihood is, is really important, especially now. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, but it just, um, it just breaks my heart that people feel like they have to hide it, uh, that they don't feel supported in their workplace or yeah. even sometimes in their own family. And, and that's really hard, you know, and I, I certainly, have privilege in the sense that um, that my family members have been supportive and they are curious about it and they're doing research and they're reading books and they're calling and asking questions, um, but not everybody has that kind of support. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, it, in, in some ways, like, it's, it's brought me closer um, with my mom, which was an unexpected uh, piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And it's made me realize some really key things about my upbringing. And I am so grateful that we can have those conversations, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, <sighs> some weird shit, man, <laughs> to say it. And I can't be eloquent yeah. about it because it's, you know, it's everybody has their own experience. And um, it's, yeah, it's hard. So speaking mm-hmm. of people being vulnerable and sharing their stories, maybe this is a good segue into talking about our mutual friend, Ryan Wagner. Mm, yes, it was such a wonderful experience to get to meet Ryan, because when you told me about him, of course, the first thing I did was go look at his photos, which are incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's an amazing photographer. And getting to meet him in person was great. And, we, you know, we, <laughs> this is a typical ADHD style, like just like, deep dive almost immediately. Yeah. It's just like, hi, how are you? Here's my experience. And we were just walking around Casalano taking a few pictures. And, um, and I just, I really felt like he, he allowed himself to be seen in that conversation and he shared some really intimate things with me. And I was just so, um, grateful and that, that I could be a person that could hold that space for him because it sounded like he hasn't had a lot of, um, because it's all new as well. He doesn't yet have a community built up around it. And, and um, the fact that he is choosing to create art out of this and like tell some stories and, you know, 
invite other people into the conversation, I think that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that, that, that art and creativity can often be the way forward. Um, I've long believed that even before I knew that I had ADHD is that like making something, creating something, telling a story, um, you know, through photography or through, you know, visual art or through film, those things are often that will help you to discover um, what it is you need to know. Right. And then you share it with other people and then they in turn feel seen. And so, yeah, I was really um, so glad that you introduced us because I, I just think he's a great guy. And um, hi, Ryan, if you're listening. <laughs> So for the listeners out there, uh, our friend Ryan Walter Wagner is doing a portraiture project um, of adults with ADHD. Uh, mm -hmm. I, actually, I, I, is it people who have discovered ADHD in adulthood specifically? I think it I, might I be. I believe so. I think yeah. that's what he, he's So similar to kind of the demo that this podcast is aimed at and hosted by. Um, and so <laughs> if you are uh, a person that fits those criteria and you live in the Vancouver area, feel free to reach out to Ryan at ryanwalterwagner at gmail.com if you want to be involved in that portrait project. Um, he is, as Robbie said, an absolutely fantastic photographer, someone I knew from the early 2000s when our Screamo bands did a few uh, shows <laughs> together. Uh, and yeah, so I, I knew him as like a music photographer but he's taken all kinds of great shots including i think the dalai lama <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so that's that's pretty cool um yeah uh also i just got a little ping uh about i'm at 90 percent of my data here so mm. i may drop out at some point so let's just kind of be yeah cognizant okay. of that okay um, sure yeah so so those were kind of those yeah i, I guess that's kind mm -hmm. of like the extraneous stuff maybe we can move on to kind of main topic of the show now oh yeah and today we were going to be talking about disordered eating yes indeed body dysmorphia yeah uh, and maybe you'd like to um share a little bit of your experience with that sure yeah um mm. so i guess before before i kind of go down that i wanted to just say um I've, I've seen some talk recently on the internet and mm -hmm. I haven't investigated it enough about the phrase body dysmorphia. And I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not sure there's a, apparently a, a section of the internet that really hates it. And I don't, oh, I haven't okay. dove in to understand why, but I follow, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of like fat positivity people and stuff on mm -hmm. Twitter. Um, and I've definitely seen like that not being a, a happy thing. Um, oh, so I'm, I'm not, okay. I'm not, uh, sure kind of like the why of that but it's something mm -hmm. i'm i'm curious about and going to kind of find out um but yeah so for me kind of my own experience is uh i very much the same way that i used um alcohol and drugs as kind of a soothing thing uh mm -hmm. food was absolutely a soothing mechanism for me for a long time too um and specifically i have you know, uh, hmm, I, I don't know. I, 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 well, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to say problems with, because I feel like mm. I don't want to fucking cast everything in my life as a problem all the time. But on the other hand, you know, like eating two extra value meals at the same time in your car, isn't like healthy. Like it's, mm, it's not, yeah. not a problem. That's not a good image <laughs> in my mind. And I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, you know, um, Binge eating has always been a thing for me uh, since kind of probably, probably my teenage years, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I used to just like come home after school and just like house a whole sleeve of Oreos and like, mm -hmm. you know, a big plate of nachos and whatever. And part of that is being a teenager. But mm -hmm. I, you know, even as a teenager, um, was carrying more weight than I probably uh, would love liked to. Um mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, I, I definitely had like a fairly sedentary lifestyle and da, 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 da. And yeah. And so like, that's, um, that's always kind of been a thing for me. And, uh, obviously there's a lot of, of shame around that, not only about kind of like, um, engaging in these behaviors that I'm recognizing while I'm doing them. I'm like trying to talk myself out of it at the drive through all this kind of stuff and be like, Jordan, you know, better, come on, buddy. But you know, mm -hmm. it's just like, it happens. And then, you know, so it's just like, I can either kind of like lay there and feel horrible or other times I would like go and throw it up. Um, mm -hmm. And that brought its own kind of shame of just like, Oh, like, 
cool Mr. Like eating disorder guy. Like this is, this is really healthy now for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, it's never been like to the point where it was a daily kind of thing for me. Um, or excuse me, not, uh, like purging or anything. Um, but mm. definitely like eating to excess was probably like a two, three, four times a week thing for a long time. And especially when I was in like really depressed and kind of, um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like feeling out of control and, and lacking that agency. And again, that's something where it's like, here's the thing that only I can do and nobody can fucking stop me from, you know, mm -hmm. eating this peanut butter parfait or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jordan, I thank you for, for telling me about that. Cause I didn't know, you know, um, back yeah. when I had first met, was this something that was happening from your teenage years until recently? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, um, something that, Hmm. So, Drinking less. So I talked a little bit on the first episode about mm -hmm. uh, getting a cannabis prescription, I think 2016 or 17. Mm -hmm. And um, so as part of that, uh, so I was able to fall asleep without booze. And then a big thing about um, when I used to drink a lot was I would always eat a lot too. Uh, mm -hmm. Partly to like kind of, you know, because you needed something to kind of like absorb the beers or whatever. Yeah. And then just like, again, because when you've got a few in you, it's like, fuck it. I don't care. Like, let's get a pizza. Um, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, so that was like, uh, it, it's interesting because I, I don't not get the munchies, but for some reason my brain is able to be like, Hey, you're stoned and the munchies are a thing. Don't, don't do the thing that you want to do right now. And that's like way different for some reason. It, it It's way easier to like think that out and override the desire than it is being mm. drunk. Um, and yeah. you know, now that I'm sober, it's interesting because um, it's, I feel like I should be able to regulate this stuff better, but that's actually something where like um, because of all the stress and the depression and things, uh, it's that, that's, that's, I feel like been harder for me to regulate lately. Um, mm. just kind of like not, not throwing up or anything, but just overeating. Like yeah. I've just been like, you know, quote depression eating like crazy for the last month, I feel like, um, mm. and not keeping up with my workouts and blah, blah, blah. And of course that just, you know, I don't feel great about that, but, uh, mm. it's, it's, it's important to give myself the grace I feel like. So, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so that that's kind of like um, my nutshell experience with that stuff. And actually something that was interesting as well, um, I still ate a lot when I was biking all the time, but it really helped with one aspect of dealing with binge eating, which was that I couldn't go through a drive-through on a bicycle. Um, <laughs> seriously though, like I, I couldn't, because that's it's such a, it's such a depersonalized way to get quote my fix uh mm. you know it's just like it's just like in and out and I don't even have to look the person in the eye if I'm like they're like do you want a drink train I'm like oh no it's just me like <laughs> but um yeah so so th th that depersonalized element and being able to kind of like get that fix really fast and easy um is something that is really enabling about having a vehicle right um mm -hmm. and so yeah so so I was definitely still like eating a lot of food when I was biking, partly as a function of biking everywhere. But yeah, I was eating better food, which I think is, you know, healthier at least. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. You talk about the depersonalization of it. And I think, um, having access to online ordering, mm. um, and all these delivery apps, I think is, uh, is another piece that, um, I mean, that's something I, kind of struggled with a lot last year it's kind of faded it's, it's sort of it's been toned down a little bit um but you know when I was working uh long hours and yeah um I was even doing it before the pandemic of my former job I was ordering from I don't know whatever that exploitative app is <laughs> or whatever it's called I can't remember um I don't want to give them any um shout outs but right. um so I would be at my desk at work and, and spend almost $30 on a lunch, you know, some kind of like 
And I would order, yeah, I would order more for like two people just because I was so stressed out. Uh, and, um, and the fact that that, yeah, like I would, I wouldn't even want to go and meet the guy at the door. I would just kind of hope that the front desk manager would sort of do it. So I wouldn't <laughs> have to look him in the eyes, sort of like my, yeah, the walk of shame back up to my, to my desk, close the door quietly, hope no one can smell the fish sauce and whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there is that kind of, cause food is so deeply personal and it's such a community, um, experience you know like sharing meals with with people you care about with your friends with your family there's something so nourishing about that Mm -hmm. um but this year i mean a lot of that has been taken from us obviously by the pandemic yep and so when you have this kind of impersonal way of 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 experiencing food then that the nourishment almost doesn't really happen anymore um and i definitely have felt you know that i'm carrying more weight and because it, it, it is that kind of stress weight that stuck with me, um, over the course of the year, moving less, obviously, um, you know, in winter, I think it's common to move a little less because we're kind of supposed to slow down in the winter anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be our fallow time. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, in, in my experience of, of disordered eating, um, it, it really shifted for me. Um, it used to be that my control mechanism, uh, was to not eat. I've struggled with um, with food and my um, my own image of self yeah. uh, for a really long time. Um, and growing up, I remember even as early as like grade six, being on a diet, um, eating cottage cheese um, mm. because I thought that would make me skinnier, and. And whatever body type I have, I mean, I've, I've, I've always been fairly, I would say, slim, um, but I didn't see myself that way. Um, and yeah. when I went into puberty, I didn't like the fact that I was getting hips. I didn't like um, having boobs. I felt like they got in the way of my running. Um, and mm-hmm. I would eat less. And there, and there were, I certainly have memories in high school of doing the DQ French fry burger thing and then going into the bathroom with my friends. It was, it was accepted to go and throw up afterwards. And it's awful that, that young girls that we were doing that to our bodies at that age. Um, and I don't know how much of that has to do with the, with the ADHD, but it certainly, it was, it was rampant, um, in, in London when I was there. And then when I moved to Calgary, um, I think things kind of simmered down for me and I was, you know, cigarettes became more of my way of coping. <laughs> um, and I mean, I smoked on and off from the time I was 12 too. I'm not proud of that, but, um, the, even in my, I want to say in my thirties and even in my early forties, shortly after the time that you and I worked together and I ran away to New York city, um, I started serving myself almost immediately mm. um, because I was so stressed out and, um, and I remember at one point I met up with um, my old roommate, um, Bevan, um, and his now wife uh, is from the New York area. And so we went, he was visiting and we went to see a play. And I remember looking down at my leg and her leg beside my leg. And, and my, it was like my leg was disappearing. Like I was, I was mm, getting wow. so skinny. And, and I remember just thinking like I was going to disappear into the chair and, and it wasn't long after that that I ended up uh, going back to Calgary. But my mom, when she picked me up at the airport, just burst into tears. She was like, oh like where are you? Like, I was so skinny. And um, and I think that that was just like fear that, you know, fear of spending money, fear of whatever. Um, I wasn't financially equipped to spend as much time in New York as I wanted to. You know, I flamed out after three months. Um, New York's an expensive city. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Uh, it took a while to kind of um, come back from that. Um, and uh, it took a while to kind of put healthy weight sort of back on my bones. Um, and and then the similar thing happened when I moved to Vancouver. I was really I was really struggling to kind of find my place here. I was still smoking for a while. And uh, I was getting quite thin. And then... I just, I can't say that I had a breakthrough per se, but I think that quitting smoking helped. Um, mm. And and I was starting to move my body more. And, uh, and, and now it's just like, I just have all this awareness around it, but that doesn't mean I'm a, I always succeed. Like I'm, I'm healthier now in the sense that 
a full fridge means more to me uh, than the size of clothes that I'm wearing. Like, right. like having access to food is a gift, right? And I realize not a lot of people have that. So I no longer do that to myself. Um, but it has sort of been a lifelong kind of struggle in that uh, for some reason, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's the fashion industry, it's the diet industry, it's so many people that will tell you that, what is that awful quote from the Olsen twins? Oh, it's so terrible. Nothing tastes as good as feeling skinny feels or something awful. Yeah, no, nothing. Yeah, nothing tastes as good as being skinny feels. I've never heard that attributed to the Olsen. It's twins. one of the Olsons. I thought that that was like Anna Wintour or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no shit. Hey gang, just so there's no confusion, apparently this quote can be attributed to Kate Moss, who walked it back in 2018. Um, and I was just like fruiting <laughs> not going right. Okay, and you know I was even older when I remember that was kind of making the rounds, and I was like shit. That's awful. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I'm in, I'm in a good place right now in the sense that, um, you know, I eat to nourish myself, but I have been binging uh, in the pandemic, mm. stress eating, uh, stress eating and doom scrolling. <laughs> I don't know about you, but like if, if I have my computer open and I'm reading something and I eat at the, at the same time, I don't remember what I've eaten. It'll be gone. The The idea that like mindless eating has kind of taken over and I really have to pull myself back from it and force myself to sit at the table to eat. Um, because otherwise I am eating more than what's what I need, right? Um, those Barbara's cheesies, though, I can't even tell you, like, how many bags of those have gotten me through some tough fucking days. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so uh, back to what you were going to ask. Well, I was just going to say, um, I. it's interesting that you brought that up because that was something that um, I did. Another thing that I did realize uh eating at the computer like that's that's I cut that one out a couple years ago just hard uh just like I if I'm at yeah if if I'm at the computer I can't eat like I gotta it's not that I have to eat at the kitchen table but just that that specific combination of things can't happen Mm. because yeah like it was the same thing with uh when I was still drinking it was so easy to just like oh shit like there's a whole six pack gone and Mm. i ate like this entire bag of chips and like two bowls of honey roasted peanuts or something Mm -hmm. and like i should have dinner now because like (laughs) i need something healthy in me (laughs) and then like go upstairs and eat like you know an entire meal like chicken and rice something or other and just like yeah (laughs) oh my god right yeah the salty snacks and booze just went together i remember back when i worked at highs i used to like pound martinis at next door at the Weston hotel. They made these like legendary mm-hmm. martinis that were like five <laughs> ounces of booze or something. And I would like, pound a couple of those back and then like eat all the nuts. Like they always had those little dishes. of nuts <laughs> out. And then, yeah, we would go somewhere and I would just end up eating like way more. There was a pizza place near, it was off first street. I can't remember. Awesome kitchen right across corner, across yeah. the corner, around the corner from the night gallery. That is the one. Yeah, that place is still going. Shout out. Uh, what the fuck is that guy's name? Starts with an A. I can't remember right now. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I remember he was an adorable. He would always kind of be sitting there like this, like just patiently waiting for the onslaught of assholes to come in. Totally. <laughs> and he was always so kind. I just I re- always really appreciated him. Um, but yeah, that place like got a lot of my late night money. Um, and yeah, just in general, whatever was available. After all those pints of beer, just kind of ugh, in your stomach, I don't miss that, and I don't miss the day after thinking to myself, like, "What did I put in my body yesterday?" I don't even remember, you know. And that's not mm-hmm. a nice feeling. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's funny when you were interested. You were mentioning something earlier about when when you were taking the cannabis prescription, mm-hmm. and how even though you would feel that sense of kind of munchies or whatever you were able to kind of separate it a little bit. And I wonder what it is yeah. about that. Um, yeah, because I've had the same experience in the past where I would feel the munchies, but I, it wouldn't be that same, like, uh, urgency that, like, booze brings on where you have to put yeah. something in there. I don't know. Have you looked into that? I, I wonder if it's just because, like, it's literally in your stomach versus in your uh, whatever respiratory system. Mm. Um because there's like, you know, there's, there's this like liquid in your stomach that needs something. <laughs> right, to absorb it, right? Yeah. yeah. Or at least that that's how it makes me feel anyway. 
Um, but yeah, I wanted to, cause it's something you touched on earlier that I wanted to go, come back to was, uh, mm. you were saying you weren't sure if this stuff was like how much of this stuff was ADHD mm. versus social pressures, um, it, fashion industry, mm. you know, uh, female body standards, all this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, and that's something that we haven't really touched on yet mm. is that there is in fact, uh, evidence of a medical link between, uh, having ADHD and having eating disorders. Um, and I think that part of that is I can, I can see how it would manifest, uh, for a few reasons mm. in people with ADHD. And part of that would be, um, you know, that sen- try, trying to find a sense of control where we feel like our lives are chaos a lot. Mm. And so for someone, uh, who's eating disorders, like they don't eat or whatever that is, yeah, like I can control yeah, I, I can't control these things in my life, but I can control what I do or don't put in my body and, you know, kind of how skinny I want to be. Mm. Um, and then I can also see that functioning as um, social pressure of a different sort mm. um, because it's a manifestation of pleasing in a way. Mm. Um, a manifestation for- of... Of, of people pleasing, people pleasing. Uh, to, to kind of keep your body uh, in a quote, like desirable looking way mm-hmm. and, and wanting to, what we were talking about last week, kind of put your best foot forward mm-hmm. uh, to, um, to, to, to people, but out of a sense of kind of insecurity, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if I can, I, I, I can't control what this person thinks of me in terms of like if they figure out how unreliable I am or whatever these worries are they have about myself Mm. um but if I can at least show up as hot maybe they'll (laughs) worry about the forgetfulness less no but seriously though and when I say hot I mean uh uh in line with um western Mm. standards of beauty of the post-war era let's call it and which is completely (laughs) distorted and false and based on yes exactly you know colonial ideas and patriarchy um Mm -hmm. but that's such a good point jordan i hadn't thought of that that um that there's a form of like kind of um compensating for other areas in which we might feel deficient right so it's like oh at least Mm -hmm. i have control over this thing right and and being perceived as you know not taking up too much space or, or whatever it yeah. is. Right. Uh, and, and the more I learn about, you know, how systems are kind of set up to favor certain sizes of people, it just enrages me so much because I mean, one person's healthy is another person's sick. Right. Like, and, mm-hmm. and I think that the majority of people that, you know, that, you know, occupy this kind of like gaunt kind of space, they don't look well, <laughs> Like, you know, like they don't look healthy to me. Um, and I'm so glad to see um, people like Sonia Renee Taylor and people like Jamil Jamal um, coming onto the social media space and pushing back against that garbage and saying, like, it's not healthy to starve yourself. And, and you know, as, as Jamil has said in the past, like she had a really hard time with that and she used to really punish herself and really do much abuse to her body and she doesn't do it anymore. And I don't know if you saw, she's got this really funny workout thing where she's like, she's working with a personal trainer who, who doesn't aspire to the whole, like um, work yourself into the ground kind of thing, harm yourself to be thin. He's just like um, exercise should be playful. It should be fun. And it's not about losing weight. It's just about feeling good. And it's about mental health. Right. She's like galloping across the screen because that's like one of the exercises and it's so fun. You know, it's not this kind of like grim, aerobicized, like a la Olivia Newton-John or whatever, where you're supposed to put on a leotard and like look amazing and like be all horny all the time. Like, it's just not like, that's just not how exercise is. See, I I will take uh, horny (laughs) 80s uh, workout stuff over the place that I wanted to bring this to next, Mm. uh, which was CrossFit. Ah. Um, and that kind of what you were talking about, about that kind of culture of punishment, mm. that like power through it. Uh, and yeah, like I, so I, I did a little bit of that. Um, geez, when would that have been? 2008, mm. 10, somewhere around there, probably. I got talked into it uh, by a coworker. Mm. And yeah, and so like I got a really bad injury mm. from um, doing this is again, I, I was in like the beginner class. This is kind of like 
uh, I was being coached, uh, by a trainer the whole time, like, and they had me do this ladder of, um, squat thrusts with a, uh, barbell plate up over my head. And so, uh, so, so they, they do a ladder, which is like, you do a set of one, then you do a set of two, then a set of three and blah, 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 up to 10 and back down. And so, you know, I don't know what the math on, uh, 10 exclamation point is, um, but I think it's over a hundred, uh, lunges anyway. The, the, the point is it was way too much for me to handle at my, uh, fitness level at the time. Um, and that kind of tough it out, push through it attitude, which was what mm-hmm. I was getting from the coaches and from the people around me. So I did that. And what I wound up with was nerve damage in my leg oh, that my took uh, a year and a half to go away. Yeah. I had something called, um, uh, para fuck. What was it? Neuralgia parasympathetic. Christ. I can't remember right now. I want to say parasympathetic nervous <laughs> system. But that's not right. Uh, neuralgia parasthetica. Uh, which is like, you get a little, you get the nerve pinched in your hip Mm -hmm. and then that makes, so basically my thigh was numb for a year and a half. My, my right thigh, Mm -hmm. uh, I could like, you know, hit it or like poke it, whatever, and just get like a little bit of a tingle, but not much else. Um, and so like riding a bike was really shitty. Mm -hmm. Uh, running was really shitty. All this kind of, all these kind of other things that I had enjoyed. Um, and so I think that one of the biggest changes for me that's helped me, um, you know, get to a fitness level that I'm happy with mm. is finding ways to make working out fun. Yeah. And dance was part of that. Body weight was part of that. Um, getting to the gym and doing, uh, you know, barbell strength exercises, uh, first thing in the morning was that when gyms were still open. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like, because it's not, I wasn't setting it up with any expectations other than just like go in and move my body and whatever I get done that day gets done. Mm. Um, you know, like I wasn't kind of coming into the gym with a notebook and, and like, okay, I got to push through and hit these reps so I can like watch the line go up. And it's just like, sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you haven't been eating well. Sometimes you went to the bar and smoked half a pack of cigarettes with your friend and like, (laughs) your workout's going to kind of suffer for that. But Mm -hmm. the important thing is to just show up and do it three times a week anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Or whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that I think is a much healthier attitude to fitness than this kind of, um, push through it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff around CrossFit. If you dig into kind of the quote literature, which is mostly insane people on web forums (laughs) who, push through to what's called, I think, rhabdomyalis, rhabdomytosis, something like that. But it's basically where you are working out so hard that your muscles, your muscle tissue is dissolving and it looks like you're pissing blood, but you're pissing protein from like your muscle tissues. And this is like a point of pride in, in the CrossFit people community of just like, yeah, like I worked out so hard, I got rhabdo. And they've got this, like, they, they've, like, personified it and cuted it out as, like, it's, like, Uncle Rabdo's come for a visit, like, Aunt Flo or something. Oh but, my you know, this is a thing that you voluntarily do from doing 600 burpees in a 40-pound weighted vest or whatever. Um, so, yeah. So, Ooh, uh, that was that was not the kind of, like, workout culture for me. And, again, once I started digging into it and realizing how much of it was kind of, like, tied up in like glorification of combat um Mm. a lot of like really kind of conservative uh notions of masculinity and what it means to um have agency Mm. (laughs) yeah so it wasn't for me yeah (laughs) like this idea that dominating is having agency i think is just so flawed you know it's just like you just have to be this like aggro (laughs) creature running around dominating and pillaging everything like i I don't know it just that harms that harms men just as much as it harms the people that they're harming i think you know um that you have to like work so hard that you that you hurt yourself and then you want to hurt other people because you're suffering no thank you (laughs) i just i finally i'm just sorry that you went through that and that um i think that diet culture in general is just so toxic and more and more of it I, what I really appreciate is that people that are pushing back and calling out um, those that 
have real no medical training that are out saying, you know, do the keto thing. And I I tried keto two years ago, I want to say now, um, around the time that I was working with Good Pitch. And um, my thyroid wasn't having any of it. I actually got really sick. Um, my body rebelled against it, didn't like it. There was too much fat. There was too much meat. And, um, and so I stopped and it took a while to kind of get my metabolism, I think, kind of back to what feels natural for me. That said, my mom does keto and loves it, which makes, it breaks my heart though, in a way, because she's 80 years old. Why the fuck does she feel like she needs to diet? Like, I hate that. But if she feel if she feels well, then I support her. Um, but I don't like that we live in a world where women feel like they have to um, constantly be sculpting themselves even into retirement and beyond retirement. She's fucking 80. Like, right. I just, I, it's her choice. And of course I'll always respect her choices, but that is just every time I have to really not like, I have to be, I have to hold my tongue because I want her to be well above right. all. I want her to be well. I want to see her again. I haven't seen her in almost a year. Um, and I love her to pieces. I just, I hate that our society makes women feel like they have to do that. It just really bothers me. Sorry, mom, if you're listening, you know, I love you. <laughs> uh, the only thing that I was going to say is that I've also, um, I mean, of course, the big selling point of any kind of diet regime is, uh, is, is going to be body, body changes. Mm. Um, but then I've also seen so many, so many people touting the kind of like health and energy benefits of keto mm. that that may be, you know, it may, may, your mom's reasoning may have less to do with aesthetics than that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. And she, and she has told me that she feels really well and really energetic when she does it. Yeah. And so if, you know, if that's what's working for her, then of course, you know, um, all within reason. And, you know, she sees her doctor regularly and gets checkups and everything. Her cholesterol is fine. So, um, I think it's fine, but yeah, I just, I, that, that's the thing that I always, I always resent that over the years I've spent so much money on supplements because you know, the magic bullets and all that jazz. And even recently, whenever I mention on LinkedIn that, you know, here, we've got a podcast about ADHD and here's the link, I'll get private messages, you know, have you tried cannabis? I'm selling it. You know, and it's like, I'm getting these like cannabis dealers coming at me through <laughs> which is hilarious when you think about it it's just like it really you know, hey man you want some weed <laughs> yeah you, you can endorse this person for having like a particularly good strain right yeah endorse them for like weed dealing right underneath like social media and blogging <laughs> <laughs> product photography the nugs looked sick right but you know what it's also like i think it might be part of some mlm thing like there's a lot of that going around too on linkedin it's just mm. exhausting um, but yeah, it's, uh, like, I, I feel, I don't know, with the ADHD thing, like you said before, like, because we're such people pleasers and like, we want, we want so desperately, I want so desperately, I shouldn't speak for others, but I want so desperately to feel seen and to belong, uh, and to be accepted for who I am. And it, it just, it's unfortunate that I spent so much of my life having to really suffer and starve myself in order to feel that sense, Right. You know, mm -hmm. and um, I don't do it anymore. I'm I'm more accepting of my body, but that doesn't mean that I don't have days when I feel like, oh, I wish I was, you know, down with like the lanky, skinny yoga broads down in the, the Kitsilano Park or whatever. <laughs> but I would never go anywhere near that because I'm not, I'm not of that, that sort of collective, so to speak. I actually thought it'd be really funny <laughs> at one time to like make a film about, like trying to crash like a yoga circle <laughs> mm. as like a marginalized person and how like all the lovely white yogis would be like no I don't think you're really I think you need to be part of our master class or whatever <laughs> just I don't know it's not a fully formed idea but I always like visualize it of this person crashing one of those like yoga circles in the park It'd be funny right <laughs> anyway I shouldn't speak ill no, uh, something I wanted to double back to a minute ago, um, something I thought was interesting that you said about um, these people with no medical training. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's something that um, I'm kind of curious because I, for a number of reasons, um, never actually talked to my doctor about any of this stuff, uh, mm -hmm. about disordered eating or anything like that. Um, and I'm kind of curious because 
uh, again, I was saying earlier that I follow a lot of kind of like fat positivity people and, mm. um, and whatnot on Twitter. Uh, and that's a, a theme that I always kind of keep seeing pop up is about how medical training doesn't even necessarily mean that you're going to get the kind of, of care or even the like respect and baseline kind of, um, you know, bedside manner stuff that you should get from medical care mm. as, as a fat person. And I was kind of curious if you've ever mm. talked to, if, if that's something you'd ever dealt with in a medical context was like anything around kind of disordered eating or weight loss and what the attitudes that you got from uh, medical professionals in your life were. Cause obviously I have a different experience as a man. Mm. Uh, it's such a great question, Jordan. Uh, and I, you know, I've been, I have a pretty decent family doctor now. Uh, she doesn't, we, we haven't really talked too much about any of my past history of that. Um, I can't say that I've had any direct experience. I've just, you know, from what I've read and heard about um, doctors always saying that it's a weight issue whenever there's some kind of problem. And mm. that's proven to be false. I think that there is so many biases uh, within the medical community. And I think that's why myself included, people are really drawn to naturopaths because at least, you know, you pay a couple hundred bucks and they'll sit and listen to you for an hour. And so it's like almost part therapy and part, you know, right. quasi diagnosis because they really don't have the medical credentials to be doing half of what they're doing. But like, <laughs> I, I recognize why it's so powerful and why people are drawn to it. And, um, and I do know that doctors can be, incredibly biased against people that have different sizes. And, um, and I also know, and I used to do this all the time and I don't now because, you know, my doctor and I zoom, um, I don't go to the office unless I absolutely have to, but I used to make sure that I was as a woman, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but as a woman making sure that I'm like put together enough that the doctor will respect me. Um, mm. but not so put together that they don't know that I'm really sick. <laughs> like I used to actually put thought into that. Like when I was sick, especially when I had endometriosis and I would show up at emergency rooms at like two o'clock in the morning, crying in pain. Um, and I would actually think about what I was going to put on so that the doctor would look at my shoes and realize that I, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, seeking drugs or whatever they would assume at two o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, and I, I realize I'm going a bit tangential on this, but it's just like, the biases in the medical community are causing so much harm. And, and I have read stories on Twitter and on Instagram of people that show up in emergency with, with pain, legitimate pain, and they're sent away and told to like lower their blood pressure and do more exercise. And it turns out they have some mm -hmm. form of fucking cancer. And, and they yeah. weren't legitimately assessed because somebody just saw a large person and said, that's whatever, go on a diet. And it's just such crap. You know, um, mm -hmm. so is that, I don't know if that was the answer you were seeking, but, um, yeah, I do, I do have strong feelings about that because it's, uh, it's hard to get, it's hard to get seen by medical professionals anyway. And I mean, in Canada, we have universal healthcare and no, it doesn't generally cost money to go see a doctor, but it's really hard to find somebody who will listen to you, um, for more than five minutes because, you know, they bill, they yes. bill on the visit. So the more visits they can get in in a day, the more likely they are to, you know, make enough money to cover their costs or whatever, right? Um, and in BC, it took me, took me almost four years, five years to find a family doctor. Uh, wow. It's hard because there's, you know, the population is just growing so quickly. And not a lot of people want to be GPs. They want to be specialists. They want to do things that make a shit ton of money, right? Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so have you, you said you haven't really talked so much to your doctor. About no, um... And, and what's interesting, though, I wanted to talk uh, the, what you were saying there about like putting yourself together enough to be taken seriously, but not enough so people don't think that you're sick. That was fascinating to me because, yeah, I have never uh, for one moment thought about what I was going to wear before I left the house to go to a doctor's appointment, even as a person who thinks about what they wear mm. a lot. Mm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, more often than not, like when I think, when I think of, especially like when I was really, really low, uh, 2019, when I think about how I would show up for those appointments, mm. it was like, yep, that same pair of Reebok sweatpants, mm. that same stained, uh, brown puffer jacket, you know, toque, haven't shaved in days, 
like, you know, yeah, I was, I was looking pretty dire most of the time I would show up to these medical appointments. <laughs> um, but, uh, it was never, I, I never had those kind of like, um, needing to, needing to create a visual shorthand for who I was to someone who doesn't know me because I've had, I'd had the same GP since I was five years old, moved to Calgary. So, um, so that was, that was obviously makes a huge difference to have a history and have someone who knows you. Um, Mm -hmm. so that never factored into me. And the only times I've ever been at the emergency room, it was like, oh yeah, we can clearly see that you smashed your hand because it's three times the size a hand should be. <laughs> Let's get you in. <laughs> right. yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I was dealing uh, for much of my adult life with a, a chronic pain. And, um, and because it was, you know, from my female parts, uh, there was this whole other level that went with it. Um, and yeah. so, uh, you know, some doctors would be completely dismissive of it. Some would say this, this, this just doesn't hurt you. What are you talking about? And I would be screaming on the table while they were doing an exam. And I remember at one point I was like so close, close to suing Cameron, which hospital I was at wow. because of how aggressive he was with me. Like he was causing me even more pain. And, and I still to this day remember that episode. And, and it was because he, he looked at me and assessed that I wasn't a legit, I wasn't legitimate for whatever reason. I don't know if it was the way I was dressed or what it was, um, but it just like, it haunts me still because there are doctors causing so much harm to people because they look, they take one fucking look at them and decide that they're drug seeking or whatever. And maybe they are drug seeking because they're legitimately in pain for God's sake. Yes. Like I just like, that's one that I really, I can't let go of that. Um, and, and so it, from what you're telling me, maybe it is kind of a, a gender specific thing where women often feel like we have to, um, legitimize ourselves in the face of medical professionals because otherwise they're going to dismiss us and, um, and I don't know if I ever shared this stat with you, but it was from it was from an event that I went to. It was the CEO of the Women's Health Foundation, uh, Janessa Green is her name. And she said that when little boys have open heart surgery, for whatever awful th- reason they have to have that, um, they're given pain medication immediately. When little girls have the same procedure, they're not. They're told that they can, they can endure the pain. And they did some kind of study on that, like the difference between what little girls had to endure after surgery and what little boys did was completely different. And it's just like, I felt my blood boil for months after hearing that because it, you know, it just, it's so unfair, you know, and there's this fucked up idea that because women can give birth to babies that somehow they're, they're going to be able to endure pain more. And it's so false. Like it just, um, it just really enrages me <laughs> um, that, uh, medical pe- medical professionals will um, do that, cause that kind of harm to people because mm-hmm. they think they're more resilient. Why that? Why why do we have to be more resilient? Why can we just not be in pain? <laughs> How about yeah. that? Maybe just don't don't traumatize us so much that we that we shut ourselves down so completely. Um, I had a friend who broke a limb and said that the doctor told her that she was so that she was so repressed at the time that she didn't even like realize that she could ask for pain medication it's just like you have a broken fucking limb good lord anyway that was not where i intended to go but that's where we are (laughs) no um and i wanted to so i wanted to double back to two things there uh one thing is that um when you said uh, even if they are drug seeking of course they are there in pain um something that i've been thinking about a lot is um there's this kind of attitude to give um, children the benefit of the doubt and say like, okay, so if, if your kid is, is like, says that it's, it's too hot or is screaming all the time for whatever reason, like legitimize that, like say, okay, this is, there's a real thing that, that is causing this to occur. Like, Mm -hmm. so what is the cause of this discomfort and how can I help you out with that? Because, you know, like, um, Sorry, and I'm I'm not using a great example here because I'm talking about physical discomfort. What I was mm. more trying to talk about was like um, with kids that have uh, something like ADHD, mm-hmm. um, but maybe undiagnosed. There's a movement to get that diagnosed in childhood easier by treating children as attitudinally wanting to show up and do their best and wanting to, Mm. uh, 
please and wanting to take care of the responsibilities that they have in their family life or school or whatever. And if there's something that's getting in the way of the child being able to do their schoolwork or keep up at home or engage with their family members the way that they quote should or would like to, um, then let's investigate the, what's, what's going on there. Let's find out what the reasons for that might be. Mm-hmm. And something I've been thinking about a lot is like, why don't we extend that same benefit of the doubt to adults Mm -hmm. why are we always um trying to kind of like say well this is just how this person is and they're flawed and and moralize Mm -hmm. it why why aren't we approaching people who are seeking drugs that they quote don't need or aren't diagnosed for why aren't we treating that the same way as a kid who can't get their homework finished in four hours that it would take uh quote, normal kid 30 minutes to do. Why are we giving that same benefit, benefit of the doubt and saying like, okay, so what's going on here? What is, what is, what are the factors that are leading to this behavior? Why do you, why do you want this? And like, cause there's going to be something there. And you know, it's like, I, it, it, it just breaks my heart to think that people don't think the best of each other. And mm-hmm. I recognize that that's kind of uh, you can call that naive. Mm-hmm. I won't be hurt by that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just, it, when I think about the people that I know myself included who have been in pain or unable to show up the way that they want to in their lives, there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's always something going on there, be that material circumstances, be that something different in brain makeup, whatever, um, there's, there's always something there and we should be giving the same benefit of the doubt that we would give a kid to people of any age, of any circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to double back to was something from, uh, our conversation about clothing and classism mm. that you brought up, um, about, that that kind of dovetails into you putting yourself together quote enough to be taken seriously at emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I wanted to bring up during that conversation and forgot at the time was uh, a piece I read that I thought was really interesting about women of color um, being more inclined to spend the money on a quote statement bag uh, that they can't necessarily afford or isn't like a quote wise investment, mm-hmm. but is a signal it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a physical signifier when you walk into that office for that interview that like, oh, this is a person who should be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, yeah, it's a conversation I was having with my friend Lindsay. Uh, you know, you, you can't, um, you, you, you don't know what poverty looks like and you don't know what class looks like. And, you know, because a person has nice things doesn't necessarily mean that like they're doing well. Mm -hmm. It may mean that they're underwater on three credit cards to have those nice things because they think that those nice things will help them secure a better economic future for themselves Mm -hmm. the same way getting a master's degree is expected to. Right. Yeah. Uh, So well said, Jordan. And, um, and I've been through that too. And I, yeah, like we talked about last time of, you know, putting on the suit and having the right bag and all that kind of stuff. And, um, <laughs> and now I have, um, like a library tote bag that says this bag is filled with books of awesome or something corny like that. Or, you know, uh, and I, I give pretty much zero fucks to that. Um, but that, that isn't to say that I'm not still kind of seduced by it. Like when I, my, my therapist is on a shishi area of South Granville. So I walk by some stores that have some beautiful things that are far beyond my means right now. Uh, and there is always a temptation to, you know, slap down the credit card, but I haven't, I haven't succumbed to that, but that's signaling, right? That's signaling of like, mm-hmm. I'm part of this, this thing. I'm part, I'm just like you, right? Accept me. I belong, I belong here. here, right? Rather than I belong here just because I'm a human being and I have amazing skills and you should respect me because I have that. That that's how it should be. But unfortunately, it's kind of not right. Like even even something like Zoom, you know, like people needing to have uh, backgrounds so that um, they they don't necessarily want people to see the inside of their home because maybe you know yep. things are a little bit chaotic there, right? And like that 
it's just all of it. Like there's so, so much of the classes stuff has really risen up this year for me. And, and I've always, I've always felt, you know, growing up working class and kind of being working class for most of my adult life and always kind of on the cusp of some sort of poverty as a creative person. Um, and with my former employer, I actually thought like, this is my graduation into the middle class. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, and now I see that for how flawed it actually is. Um, but really, I mean, uh, it's, it's kind of obscene to actually have to think that way. And even in Vancouver, like graduating to middle class, like salary wise does not, does not guarantee home ownership or anything like that. Or, you know, yeah, of course. um, you have to be pretty much obscenely wealthy to own a house in this town. Um, but yeah, it just, uh, I have been thinking about that a lot. Like what that means, like, like maybe it doesn't, it doesn't have to mean anything to me. Like I'm, I'm choosing now to kind of carve out a different vision of what success looks like for me. And it's a process, you know, um, yeah. having enough money to obviously pay for my bills, pay my debts, save a little bit. Um, when the world opens back up, go to see my, the land of my people in Scotland. I'd love to go to Isla Sky, but I don't want to, um, I'm not as interested in, in wearing a uniform that's going to signal to people that, um, that I'm part of their, their family when they're the families that are causing harm in society. I don't want to be part of them anymore. Like, and I, I realize that and I'm, I, the anger that I felt has dissipated, but I still feel like there's some significant brutality happening in those organizations in how they treat people and the way they burn them out chronically. Um, it just, it really is upsetting to me. <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah, I wish it wasn't that way. And I hope I can do whatever my small part is to help people feel less like they've failed if they don't belong to that. Cause no one should really have to belong to that kind of, um, damaging way of, of doing business. You know, there I go again. Getting on the treadmill. <laughs> right. Rise and grind, yeah. you know, time to put in your 16 hours or whatever. Um, and this may be one for another episode, but we, we watched the film, um, Take Your Pills, which I think is a whole episode that um, we mm. could talk about later, which pissed me right off, that whole thing. But um, anyway, because people feel like they have to take drugs to do their jobs. Right. Because the hours are so long. There was a study I found that um, something about like people working five-hour workdays start to lose their passion for their career and like gain more passion for their life. And I was like, yeah, mm. right on. But there was all this pearl clutching about it. It's like, oh, my God, people are going to not be so productive. What are we going to do? You know, it's just like, I don't know, man. Maybe hire another part-time person and let them do a part-time job. I don't know. But, yeah. Imagine that. People getting more passionate about their right. lives. Oh, God. The awful. scandal. What a world. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of world are we living in? And people actually get to see their families. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, we're, I think we're... we're Past an hour now already. Holy smokes. Mm. That seems like uh, as good a place as any to wrap up, especially because I got a notification that I've used 50% of the gig of data I just okay, bought okay. So I should probably <laughs> save some. <laughs> so uh, for those that don't know, it is Mental Health Week in Canada. The hashtag people are using is get real, which means, you know, being able to share your feelings uh, should be widely accepted and normalized. Um, and around the world, it's um, get or it's mental health month, I guess, um, depending on if you're the States or the UK, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I think it's just a time to have, have the conversations you need to be having in safe, supported spaces. You don't need to out yourself um, as uh, struggling with, the, with something if you don't feel safe doing that. Uh, there's always back channels. And, um, and I think uh, we'll, we'll put some, maybe we'll put some links in the show notes so people know where they can go to get more information. But yeah, I like that. Get Real. Wasn't that, wasn't that the name of a No Doubt album? <laughs> in the 90s uh i don't know uh i i don't know that band terribly well to be i don't honest. either my uh, friend holly loved them but maybe a song but i'm not familiar of an album but yeah the the idea is is that it is um conversations are happening around mental health and long overdue conversations um but like i said if you don't feel safe sharing publicly you don't feel like you have to out yourself mm -hmm. just to join a hashtag um you know protect yourself where you need to and uh share in safe spaces I think that would be the only thing I'd have to say about that. And, you know, we'll be out chatting about things here and there on social media, but yeah, only where you're comfortable and, you know, don't, don't dissolve your boundaries for the sake of a little bit of social media engagement. Yeah. Um, 
you might not you might not enjoy it later as Robbie and I said on the first episode and uh, our friend Ryan is now engaging in a similar project um, people like us who have an easier time sharing publicly uh, if that helps other people share in their private lives then that's fantastic and that's so much mm-hmm. that that's so much just get talking to whoever it is the more you share about things the, the more you can feel connected uh, less like an alien yes <laughs> yeah. relating that's the biggest thing be feeling seen like we talked about up top Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. (laughs) If you enjoyed Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us, as does following and promoting the show on social media. A full list of platforms is on our Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash holy shit, I have ADHD. While you're there, why not leave us a voicemail? You can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own ADHD experiences with us at, you guessed it, holy shit, I have ADHD at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes. Bye for now and hyper focus on the positive.